Amazon gets into the payments game, Bank of the Ozarks makes a play, and we've got some more earnings. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It's the TGIF show. It is Friday. David, uh, we've got still this, uh, this competition going on. But first, as always, uh, Where the Money is uh, brought to the WTMI community by The Motley Fool. Uh, and we've got a special report uh, from The Motley Fool that WTMIers can get. They just have to email WTMI offer. That's one word. Got to get the offer in there. WTMI offer at fool.com, uh, and you'll get a, a special report about Warren Buffett's best wisdom. We've also got this competition going on. The competition is heating up. We're getting some good responses here. Next week is our 100th episode, and uh, for that episode or on that episode, we'll be announcing somebody that's going to get a special WTMI sweatshirt um, to, to have a chance at that. You can tweet us. Uh, at TMF Financials. You can find us on Facebook, Motley Fool Financial Services, or you can email us, WTMI, just plain old WTMI, at fool.com. Let us know why you like the Where the Money Is show. Cool. And win that sweatshirt. All right, let's get to the headlines. First headline of the day comes from Wall Street Journal, and it comes from a company that we don't usually talk about here, Amazon. Amazon to offer Kindle checkout system to physical retailers. Reportedly, right? It's not official. Okay. But is that, is that the case? Apparently, they're working on the physical checkout point of sale system. So, this is, I mean, Square works with the, the Apple iPad. You, I start to see those everywhere mm-hmm. now. Um, so, perhaps Amazon getting into the mix here. Uh, is this a, do you think this is a good play for Amazon? Do you think this is a scary play for everybody else? I think it's a scary play for a company like Square. And what they're proposing here reportedly is you'd get the Kindle and then a card reader that goes with the Kindle. Mm-hmm. And the differentiation here would be that Amazon's going to offer them special data analytics and customer trends. Amazon's pretty darn good at doing that. I'd be a little bit nervous if I was Square. Um, so yeah, I think it's interesting. And when we just talk about the payment space, I think this is going to become more and more competitive. It seems like everyone's interested in getting in the payment space because for so long it was kind of just, okay, you swipe your card, and that's it. But I think now retailers and companies are realizing there's a lot of data to be gleaned from this. And we look at Amazon, Square, Apple's talked about getting into the payment space. We talk about Bitcoin. That's another player in the payment space. PayPal. It's just going to be much more competitive. And for a company that doesn't really care about margins, this, I mean, it's going to become more competitive for everyone else, especially if Amazon is in here. We're going we're gonna to talk about uh, MasterCard in a little bit because they reported earnings. But one of the interesting things is, is in all of this in the, in, in the payments industry, whether you're talking about Square, whether you're talking about this Amazon announcement, it's still about how are you swiping that card. Um, so we'll, we'll get back to that in a minute, but I think that's interesting. I like the tie-in for Amazon. If, if they get in here with the, with the companies and then they can bundle services because they have all of those, all of those web-enabled services mm-hmm. that they offer to a lot of different companies, they can bundle that together with this payment system. Um, and what's interesting and maybe, maybe could be a little bit of a hurdle for Amazon to overcome as they try to work with these companies is that they can use this data. To, to, to improve the Amazon, uh, the main Amazon site and their commerce services. Uh, I don't know if some companies are going to be a little bit wary about having Amazon uh, getting into their business like that. 
And my uh, my third bullet here is, is this is I think this is another step towards just uh, Amazon taking over the world. Right. I mean, w- last week, last Friday, you <laughs> that's the wrong button. <laughs> you ran the, you ran the interview that you had with David Gardner. He talked about Amazon's optionality, how they move from selling books to selling things to web services. In five years, we don't know exactly what Amazon's going to be. Maybe they become a dominant player in the payment space. So, I don't know. I like their chances if they good, if they do it. Moving from Amazon to a smaller company, what's the second headline, David? second headline is from ArkansasNews.com, Bank of the Ozarks to purchase Summit Bank. We talked about Bank of the Ozarks as being a very well-run bank. Maybe the shares look a little bit pricey for our taste right now, or I know you've said that in the past. So they're going out and using those shares to yep. buy someone. Good move. I think so. Uh, 200, well, well let's, I'll put it this way. It could be a good move. Uh, it's a $216 million acquisition. 80% of that is in stock. So as, as you just alluded to, when the price of Bank of Ozark stock or any company's stock is high like this, using some of that as currency to buy another company can be a really good move. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bank of the Ozarks is paying, as far as I could tell, about twice the book value of, um, of Summit. Uh, that seems pretty reasonable. Um, this is a private bank. This is not a publicly traded bank, so we've got a little bit less information on it. But given that Bank of the Ozarks is trading at above, uh, well above three times book, um, this is this will be an accretive acquisition uh, for Bank of the Ozarks. Um, what was interesting about the coverage of this deal is in terms of uh, Bank of the Ozarks strategy going forward. So George Gleason, the CEO of Bank of the Ozarks, has kind of said a lot of the growth of Bank of the Ozarks to date, has been through uh, de novo branching, so opening, opening up brand new branches. And what Gleason has said is that the banking industry right now is characterized by too many branches. And so they're not sure that he's not sure that they're, they're really going to be pursuing de novo anymore because there's a lot of opportunity to acquire branches. Um, and, and what I'd tack on to that is that at Bank of the Ozarks' size now, can de novo branching really still move the needle? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, in, in selected instances, sure, maybe it's still a good idea, but do they have to look more towards larger acquisitions in order to continue to grow? So we mentioned the purchase price of $216 million. What does this mean for the asset base of Bank of Ozarks? Is this really going to move the needle? I think, what, they have around $6 billion in assets. and After the acquisition. After the acquisition. So, so, so was, as last was reported, it was $4.8 billion. Okay. So this is pretty sizable. Yeah, they're adding one point. Summit has $1.2 billion in assets. All right. So that's a that's a pretty big boost. Interesting. Third headline of the day is a we've got kind of a combo deal here. Uh, Mastercard fourth quarter profit climbs three percent, and Green Dot shares slide as earnings outlook miss expectations. David, let's start with Green Dot. What's going on there? It's kind of a bloodbath today. Down around twenty percent, and one of the big reasons is there's a lot of short sellers on this stock. A lot of people mm-hmm. are betting against Green Dot, so when you see results that aren't great and you got a lot of the short sellers, you're going to see a big move. It could have been the opposite way. If they would have been pressed, it would have been up 20%. So uh, a little bit of interesting quarter. The results didn't look great, not growing incredibly. Mm-hmm. They did call out some competitors, because that's the big thing with Green Dot. Everyone's saying they're going to get eaten alive by the big banks. They can just take all their customers. They said J.P. Morgan's liquid program. J.P. Morgan is really pushing it at every ATM, every branch. They're saying, hey, check out this new program. They said... Hey, if you look now, J.P. Morgan's not even promoting it anymore. So they said, J.P. Morgan is no green dot when it comes to prepaid card. <laughs> they said that specifically. And then they came on to, uh, to Amex and they said, we have anecdotal evidence from retailers that we're outselling Amex 11 to 2 
in certain locations. And they said Amex is no green dot when it comes to prepaid cards. So maybe they're still the first mover. Maybe they're still winning that space. But like we said with the first headline, I think payments are just going to become very interesting over the next five to ten years. And I don't really know if Green Dot's kind of prepaid program really well, fits the bill. Well, were, were, the, were, were the results as bad as the stock market action suggests? No, they weren't horrible. I mean, they're still growing revenue. And but, but, it wasn't, but it wasn't great. I guess They spent a lot of money moving into new retailers. So they're pushing into new retail physical stores. And when I think about what this industry could look like over the next five, ten years, I think it would be more so online, digital, rather than selling prepaid cards in all these stores across the country. So my question is, is if they're pointing out that they're beating all of these other, other companies, what does that mean if it's not an attractive business to be in? I, I yeah. mean, you, you could be the fastest guy in a, a race of the slowest men in the world. What, what does that really mean for you? Exactly. I, I'm, not, that, I'm not saying that it is an attractive space, but I'm just saying that that's, you got to go back to that. Is this an attractive business to be in the first place? Maybe, maybe J.P. Morgan is being smart about getting out of it because they're saying, eh, this isn't as good as we thought it was going to be. I, I don't know. To me, if we say the stock market closes for five years and then opens up again, right. I don't really know what Green Dot's business is going to look like. I think there's too many moving parts here, and just because they're the first mover and the biggest player in the prepaid space... I don't think that means they're guaranteed success here. MasterCard. MasterCard on the other end of the spectrum. The stock is down pretty big, and, and the results, the, the headline results, what was covered in the headlines didn't look good, but the business is still growing. This right. is, it, we're continuing to see an attractive business. It's not like that thesis has, has gone awry. Right, and the headline that we had up there was earnings jump 4%, and that doesn't sound like a right. lot, but there was a big litigation expense that they took in the quarter. If you back that out, earnings were up It's almost irresponsible to have a headline so. like that, I think. Exactly. It was really up because 17%. That's, yeah, that's not, what the, that's not what the real earnings uh, power of, uh, of the company are. So revenue up 15 or so percent, share count down. That's why you see the EPS jump up, excluding that. So yeah, it, it still looks good. Um, but you're not, you're not crazy. You're not... I'm you not, were telling me before the show that you're not crazy about the, 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 the MasterCard thesis. I'm not insanely crazy. So they grew EPS, excluding that charge, around 17%. My question is, how long can they continue growing at 17%? I know we like to say that there's a ton of opportunity, but in terms of gross dollar amount, how much incremental growth is there going to be there? And I think you can still get, get good returns from MasterCard if they continue growing at, I don't know, teens uh, over the next couple of years. And they buy back shares. So I think you can still get good returns, but I don't think it's an absolute 100% slam dunk. Now, are you thinking about this specifically in terms of MasterCard, or does this apply to Visa as well? I think it applies to both. Um, you're, being, you're being a little caught because you said you like Visa. We just talked about this the other day. You said, ah, I like Visa. I think it applies to both. If, if there's no, disrupt- to, talk down if there's no like disruption to this model, I think there's going to be disruption on the, the, the payments and the swiping part. In terms of their model between the banks and the financial institutions, if there's no disruption there, they'll continue to grow. That's without a doubt in my Right, mind. because even when you think about new payment systems, even Bitcoin, Bitcoin doesn't provide you with that revolving credit line. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, it, I, I don't support the idea that a lot of people use a credit card revolving credit line in, in a, a bad way mm-hmm. and, and get these high, end up with these high interest credit balances. But it's still nice from a, consumer, from a consumer standpoint to have this revolving credit line as opposed to if you're just going straight up using, say, like Bitcoin, you have to have the money there in your account Maybe some people would say that's a good thing, but you have to have your money there in, the, in your account to make that transaction. Right. If you had something where it was credit card to Bitcoin and then use that to make the transfer, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, that's, uh, maybe that's some sort of part of the model in the future. 
So yeah, I'm. I'll run the numbers again. I'll get back to you next week. Hopefully with better looking numbers. I'll get my thesis. I I don't like where your numbers are going. All right, let's move on to the focus. Uh, We've got to look ahead to next week. Um, Next week, we've got some some interesting economic numbers coming out. We've got auto sales on Monday from from the finance industry's perspective. This is interesting because there's so much, uh, so much money that, that gets plowed into uh, auto financing. Uh, Wednesday, we'll see the employment numbers from ADP. That's the, the private company, the payroll processor, mm-hmm. ADP, giving their estimate of payroll change. And then, of course, Friday will roll around and we'll get the payroll numbers, the, the government's payroll numbers, um, and the unemployment rate for January. Doesn't nobody believe those anymore? Wasn't there some big thing about how those were all... Lies. I don't trust the government. The government. <laughs> you, the live, you live in a hole in the ground. We'll, we'll, also, we'll also get consumer credit numbers on uh, on Friday. That's obviously important for the finance industry as well. So, uh, some some interesting economic news. Any anything you want to throw in there besides the fact that you don't trust the government and these on the on the economic is. front, uh, not too much. I'll be watching a kind of group of companies. Some are reporting next week. And you mentioned the auto sales that come out on Monday. I'm going to be watching uh, Prospect Capital. This is a BDC, a business development company. And they recently bought a subprime auto lender as part of their portfolio. Uh, they've been growing a lot. They've tripled their asset base over the last two years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got around 10% of their assets in another company that makes kind of short-term high interest rate loans. So they have a somewhat risky portfolio. It's diversified, but it's risky. Okay. Yields 12%. The dividend's huge. That's why a lot of people are interested in the stock. They report on Monday. So just interesting to see what is that subprime company doing? What is the lender doing? Uh, kind of what do they think of their portfolio? That would be one to watch on, I miss, on Monday. I missed that on the earnings, earnings calendar. Uh, more, lots more earnings coming out next week. You just mentioned Prospect Capital on Monday. On Tuesday, American Capital Agency. That's our... Uh, Agency agency mortgage, uh, mortgage REIT, mm-hmm. we talked about them a little bit yesterday. There's also the possibility that we'll see Annalee Capital on Tuesday or at some point during the week. They don't uh, give investors a heads up on when the call is going to be. It's sort of like one of those uh, pop-up food trucks. It's exactly. just like, Annalee earnings are here, <laughs> rush. You get the get the chance to may not be as delicious though. May not be as delicious. Wednesday, Lazard, the the investment bank, will report Genworth Financial. We just talked about earlier this week. They'll report um, Platinum Underwriters, uh, an insurance favorite of mine. Uh, Aflac, Nasdaq, the stock exchange. Those reports all come on Wednesday. Thursday, Allstate, Two Harbors, KKR, Fifth Street Financial. Uh, and Kimco, the, the big uh, REIT. Uh, that's right. an equity REIT as opposed to a mortgage REIT. Finally, on Friday, uh, we've got Montpelier Re, uh, CBOE Group, um, and Aspen, which is another uh, specialty uh, reinsurer, big reinsurer. Spanning the, the globe here. You bet. Companies. Oh, you bet. Uh, a- any of these earnings that you're going to have a particular eye on? Um, uh, again, w- with the BDCs, you mentioned Fifth Street. That'll be interesting when they're reporting uh, on Thursday, like you said. They're a little bit different than Prospect. They usually do financing. So private equities, private equity companies come to them and say, hey, we want to buy this company. You want to pr- provide some of the financing. Last time they reported results, they said, hey, we're not getting a ton of deals. There's not a lot of stuff we like. So it'll be interesting to see, are they still saying that? Because last time they did, the stock sold off. That yields over 10% as well. But it's a little bit more conservative than, than a Prospect Capital. American Capital Agency obviously will be watching. Uh, Lazard could be moderately uh, interesting, but we've already seen 
uh, Evercore and, and Green Hill. Mm-hmm. Genworth will be watching Platinum Underwriters. I'll be wa- watching to come back. Obviously, I have a I have a stake in that both uh, personally in my personal portfolio, but also in my real money portfolio on the Fool. Uh, Aflac could be pretty interesting. Aflac has continued to produce great returns for its shareholders, but hasn't exactly been. Uh, exciting shareholders. So the, the stock has been kind of going nowhere, even as the company continues to churn out 20 percentish um, yeah. returns on equity. So I, I, I'll tune into that to see how we're going. Two Harbors, we talked about in the MREIT uh, preview. We'll obviously be watching that. Kimco, I think where the money is, maybe a little bit light in the equity REIT coverage. So maybe I'll take a look, closer look into Kimco, see if we can report back on that. Not on the mortgage rate coverage, though, according to not, Mike V. Not, not on the mortgage rate coverage. He's not a fan. We've got, uh, we've got uh, the mortgage rates pretty much wrapped up here. All right, moving on to the mailbag. Speaking of hearing from our listeners and viewers, our email address is wtmi at fool.com. Send us an email. We love to hear. Even if, even if you want to tell us, even if you just want to tell us, I'm sick of hearing about mortgage rates, send us an email. Let us know. Uh, the email for today, this comes from Tim Tim writes, in the last week, I have had two people tell me the customer service at Bank of Internet was so bad, they left within a month of joining. One said he was hung up on after the customer service agent he was talking to couldn't figure out the answer to his question. Obviously, this is anecdotal evidence, but do stories like this make you rethink your confidence in the company? David, I guess first I'd say I'm not sure that I've expressed that much confidence in the company. I think it's an interesting model. The efficiency ratio of the bank is obviously very attractive. It's grown very fast. Mm-hmm. The stock has performed very well. But I have questions about how the, how the risk management of the bank is going to play out over, year, over the years. I have questions about the, the deposit model, where essentially all of the deposits are interest-bearing deposits, which may not be as sticky in, an, in a rising interest rate environment. Um, as far as the customer service of the bank, though, we haven't really talked about that on here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's, it's interesting. It is anecdotal, but it's interesting. Does that scare you? No, not necessarily. The things that you pointed out are the bigger concerns for shareholders. You're not going to find a lot of banks that people are like, I just call my bank and love to talk to them because they're really nice. <laughs> it's, when you talk about bank customer service, it's either they solved my issue and I'm thankful for that mm-hmm. or they're the worst people in the world, and I hate them, and I'm leaving them, and they're the worst. So I actually pulled up some reviews from, from some sites. Um, the first review here is from my bank tracker, and they got three out of five stars for a good uh, customer service, three stars, bank rates, four stars. We talked about the high interest. Over on Yelp, a similar story. And again, these aren't huge sample size, but we figured, hey, we might as well see what what the world's saying about mm-hmm. it. That got around three and a half stars as there as well. So I wouldn't be too concerned. I'd be more concerned about the things you talked about, loan quality management and a sticky deposit base. Yeah, I think uh, mentioning Yelp there, Yelp is an interesting model from the perspective that Yelp has been able to uh, get, get people um, rallied around the idea of giving both good and bad reviews mm-hmm. of restaurants and stuff like that. You don't really see that in the banking space, so mostly people are going to take the time to, to review something when they're really, really upset. Um, so I don't know that I'd read too much into that either. I agree. All right. It is Friday, so we've got an interview today. Uh, uh, Million Dollar Portfolio Lead Advisor Ron Gross uh, joined me for a little interview. We're going to cut away uh, from that uh, to that, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we'll be right back. Ron, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Let's start out with a, with a value investing favorite, Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. 
Uh, so much to like about Berkshire Hathaway, but when you think about the long term, what's a business risk that concerns you uh, that Berkshire could face? Well, I like Berkshire because it's well diversified. We do have concentration in insurance there. Maybe 30% of profits come from insurance. But obviously, it's a very large conglomerate. So we have nice spreading of business risk. There are some regulatory risks. They're in the energy sector. They're in the railroad sector. So regulations could go the wrong way on them in some of, some of those business lines. But it's not really anything I'm too worried about. If I had to think of something that would derail my love of a Berkshire in investment, and we do own it in million-dollar portfolio, I do own it personally, um, it would be if they make a, a bungled large acquisition. Mm. Now, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen either. Um, they know what they're doing here, but if they put a lot of money to work in something that just isn't right um, or turns out to be a mistake, that would be bad. Um, succession, obviously. You can't really talk about Berkshire without talking about what happens one day when Mr. Buffett is no longer at the helm. I think he's doing a, a good job of kind of pushing some of the investing off to uh, Ted and Todd, if I'm right there. Um, we don't know who the CEO will be on the operating side of the business. I would imagine it's somebody already um, that works uh, with, with Buffett and works for Berkshire. But we don't know, so that is an unknown. Um, but because it's a diversified conglomerate, there's nothing from an operating perspective that really uh, causes me to, to lose sleep at night. Gotcha. So now moving from actual Berkshire to baby Berkshire, <laughs> Markel, this is another foolish fan favorite. Looking at the interest rate environment right mm -hmm, now, mm -hmm. is this something that investors should, long-term investors should be concerned about? So it's interesting. Uh, I guess it depends what you mean by this interest rate environment. Are we talking about a low interest rate environment or a rising interest rate? And we can look at it both ways. We'll, we can break it down for a second. Let's talk about ri mainly the rising. Okay. But you, can, you can mention So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about both, actually. So um, insur uh, insurance companies make a lot of their profits from the investing, investing the premiums that um, uh, customers pay. It's called investing the float. And most of those investments are in bonds. So in a low interest rate environment, you're not earning a lot of yield, mm -hmm. um, and that's bad. Uh, in a rising interest rate environment, you have a double-edged sword here. On one hand, the value of your existing bond portfolio will go down. Mm -hmm. That's bad. However, you will be able to invest future premiums at higher rates, and you will get higher yields from your future bond portfolio. And I believe that outweighs the negativity of your current bond portfolio going down. Now, with respect to Markel specifically, they're great at what they do from an investing perspective. Uh, Chief Investment Officer Tom Gaynor is a really talented guy, consistently beats the market, and they invest a fair amount of their float in stocks, mm -hmm. which is not necessarily typical. It does remind me of what Geico does, uh, the Geico subsidiary does at Berkshire. Um, they take a little extra risk, not risky stocks. They're, these are great, well-established, you know, kind of blue-chip type of companies. But they do put more money in the stock market than is typical, um, which kind of mitigates any kind of damage that the, the bond market could have on that portfolio. So in the case of Markel, I'm very confident. I think it's good for them in a rising interest rate environment because their, their bond yields will go up. They're great stock market investors. And then they have a third uh, investment vehicle where they're actually investing in acquiring private companies. Mm -hmm. It's called Markel Ventures. And I think that's very exciting um, for them down the road. It's still small at this point. All right. Now, finishing off here, 
million dollar portfolio has a has a great diversified portfolio so for somebody like me who's so focused on financial and bank companies if i get my head up from that what's a non-financial company sure i'll, I'll give that. you a large company and then i'll give you a small company from the our deep twofer, value service I, like um, I think potash is a really interesting company uh, out of canada focused on the the commodity potash which um, is needed for agriculture as emerging markets move towards better agricultural practices. I believe potash will definitely benefit potash prices and therefore potash the company um, will benefit as well. If you want to look at a smaller company from our deep value service, I think Titan International is really interesting, maker of wheels um, for industrial uh, equipment, um, mining, agriculture, again, as emerging markets um, kind of get more sophisticated in both their mining and their agriculture, I think that's an area of growth there. It's less than a billion dollars in market cap, but they do a really good job. And, and an activist kind of just entered the fray there, which always makes it interesting. Interesting. Well, thanks again for joining us, Ron. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, that was great to hear from Ron. Some interesting thoughts there. Mm -hmm. uh, again, he is the lead advisor on our million-dollar portfolio it's one of our, our newsletter services that we have. Finishing off the day and the week in the Twitter sphere, David, what do you got? Our first and only tweet is from Paul LaMonica at LaMonica Buzz. He says, more good news for Seattle and Denver. Microsoft and Chipotle both up on what's shaping up to be an awful day for the markets, but Chipotle up more. Hashtag Orange Crush. So Chipotle headquartered in Denver, the Broncos, and Microsoft <laughs> I was Seattle. more that Washington and Colorado have recently legalized something that would... Oh, I was thinking, <laughs> more, Ch I was thinking for more for the Super Bowl. Chipotle, you got a little Rocky Mountain so, High leading to some more... So Chipotle uh, up more. Sales. <laughs> Chipotle up more. Does that bode well for the Broncos? And who are you picking for the Super Bowl? I know we are I'm well known... about that Rocky Mountain High. We are well known for our sports wisdom here, as I've shown. Yeah, I think you've got to continue. See if you can continue your, continue your streak here. Who's your pick for the Super Bowl winner? I'll go with the Broncos. Chipotle you're is going, You're going Broncos. So you've got to okay. go Seattle, I guess. How, how about, I'll go, I'll go Seattle, that's fine with me. Who's your Super Bowl, who's your pick for Super Bowl MVP? It's going to be Demarius Thomas. Whoa! Yes, a That's a surprise pick. I figured you're going to go safe with uh, What about you? Manning. Richard Sherman. Okay. That's, that's where it's at. That's where the money is. Cool. All right, that's our show for today and for the week. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at TMF Financials. You can find us on Facebook, Motley Fool Financial Services. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This here is David Hansen. We'll see you next week. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.